Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. Join us now as Pastor Keith Moore shares today's message. There's a, um, a movie that opened this weekend. You know, I, I, I came across a comment from a pastor that I admire, and uh, I, I realized it applied to me and Allison. You know, Allison and I don't go to the movies and watch other people engage in sexual activity. We decided to get married and enjoy the real thing with the blessing of God Amen. on it. The joy-filled, holy, pure, good, God-honoring, God-blessing, life-giving uh, sexuality the way He intended it. And uh, we are in this series to try to take head-on the world thought and value system's perversion of what God created uh, for several reasons. One, to honor God. Second, uh, to try to keep us from destroying ourselves any longer. And uh, as we have, as we have done, we've provided a lot of resources for you. Uh, I recommend today a couple of books by Christian authors, Pastor. Uh, Tim and his wife Beverly LaHaye years ago wrote a great book called The Act of Marriage. Um, Dr. Ed Wheat and his wife Gail, a dynamic uh, Christian uh, layman, uh, wrote a book several years ago called Intended for Pleasure. We're going to talk about that, that topic today just a little bit. And, and as always, I've been praying and ask you to pray for me. Uh, that in no way would I sensationalize this topic, not be flippant, not be gratuitous, not be inappropriate, but also pray that I would not, in any stretch, by any stretch of the imagination, mute the language that God Himself uses in the Scriptures. Got it? Got it? So let's turn to Proverbs chapter 5. Uh, we are um, walking through systematically God's Word, and uh, this year we are in the book of Proverbs. I don't know when we'll finish, maybe before the Lord returns, or I die, or something. But um, we have made it all the way to chapters 5, 6, and 7, and that's where we are uh, living this month to see, again, not what I'm saying about sex and sexual ethics, but what God Himself revealed in His holy, inerrant Word that He gave to us. And so I'm going to, to the best of my understanding, say in our modern-day language what He said uh, almost 3,000 years ago, inspired by, the God, by God the Holy Spirit uh, through the pen of Solomon. And so uh, last week we looked at chapter 5, verses 1 through 14, and we we saw the warning that God gives of the high cost of foolish sexuality, of, of, of what Dr. Calvin Miller, one of my heroes in the faith, called sexual insanity, the high cost. And he was. we have the context of a, a written in the form of a wise father, uh, instructing, warning, pleading with his coming-of-age son, maybe in puberty, maybe young adolescence, uh, 
to, to know of the danger, to avoid sexual immorality because of the terrible price that one will pay for it. And so we saw all of the warnings there. Now, in God's pattern of uh, corrective discipline, he, uh, he teaches us by saying, not this way, but this way. And so last week he said, not this way. Today, beginning in verse 15, he says, this way. Dr. Adrian Rogers was the longtime loved, beloved pastor of the Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, he said frequently over the years, in his writings and in his sermons, anytime that God says, don't, anytime that He prohibits uh, us from any activity, He is saying, don't hurt yourself. He's saying, don't play in the street. Don't hurt yourself. And anytime that He commands us, He's saying, to do something, he said, help yourself to the best. And that's what he does here today. Verse 15 starts with a command. I'm going to read verses 15 through 21. You follow along in your Bibles. This is God's Word. Drink water from your own cistern, water flowing from your own well. Should your springs flow in the streets, streams of water in the public squares? They should be for you alone and not for you to share with strangers. Let your fountain be blessed and take pleasure in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful fawn, let her breasts always satisfy you. Be lost in her love forever. Why, my son, would you be infatuated with a forbidden woman or embrace the breast of a stranger, for a man's ways are before the Lord's eyes, and he considers all his paths. Right at the beginning of this passage, after the warnings of the high cost of sexual immorality, uh, he gives a command. Uh, this father to this wise father commands his son uh, to drink water from his own cistern and drink water flowing from his own. Well, now in that passage, I want you to go, verse 15, I want you to circle the words, your own, it's there, there twice, your own cistern, your own well. Now he's not telling his son to take a break from their lessons and go get a drink of water. That's not what he's saying here. This is, he's, he's giving a command, this is an imperative. It is also a metaphor, he's speaking metaphorically here. Here in this passage, water is a metaphor for the joys of sexual fulfillment. And the command to drink water from your own is the command to confine all sexual activity to the relationship with his future wife. You see, the cistern and the well are metaphors for the young son's future wife. He's not married yet. He's very young. He's very young. And uh, she is to be, he's saying, the one and only source of sexual fulfillment. Now, a cistern was a... a, 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 a um, a hole dug in the ground in the in the Middle East designed to catch the, the runoff when it would rain, which was rare. Uh, and you know what a well is. A well is dug and and uh, to hit groundwater so that it it lets it, it fills itself. You know, is everybody had a cistern, but if you had a well, you were wealthy in that semi arid part 
of the country, of the, uh, of the world. And so the cistern and the well are metaphors for the young man's uh, future wife. And so then he asks this, uh, this question this, in verse 16, Should your springs flow in the streets, streams of water in the public squares? Now, this is a rhetorical question. And the answer is, absolutely not. Absolutely not. This wise father, again, still speaking in metaphor here, uh, he, is, he is asking his son something like this. Now, should, should you, in light of all we've seen so far, in light of all that God has said to you through me, should you act on any sexual desires with anyone who is willing? Should you be sexually active with your boyfriend or girlfriend or someone you think you're falling in love with and might marry someday or you know, just anyone who's willing? Should you do that? No, he says, absolutely not. You see, the thrill of marriage, the thrill of married sexuality comes, first of all, because it is exclusive. Write down the word exclusive in your notes. He says it is exclusive here. Look at verse 17. They should be for you alone. Underline that phrase. You alone and not for you to share with strangers. So in verse 15, he says, from your own cistern, from your own well, for you alone, your wife alone, for you alone, exclusive. The sexual relationship designed by God is very, very good, is to be exclusive. Wives and husbands, husbands and wives, the two of you alone, not for you to share with strangers. Now, we learned uh, a couple of weeks ago that this Hebrew word translated strangers here means much more than just someone you've never met before. It means someone who is strange to your marriage relationship, someone who is foreign to the marriage relationship, someone who is outside your marriage. You say, well, I'm not married. Well, then everybody's outside, right? Everybody's outside your marriage. It is to be exclusive between husband and and wife, or future husband and wife. Uh, so good, holy, moral, pure, God-honoring, life-blessing sex is first of all exclusive. That is God's plan. It is exclusive. Only husbands and wives married to each other. You and you alone, he says. And so in the pattern of God's corrective discipline, his teaching, he's saying verses 1 through 14, not this... But this, not just with any old body, like our culture says, but exclusive with your wife. This is God's best for you. The thrill of marriage comes because it is exclusive, but also it comes because it is, and this is going to surprise some of you, blessed by God. Look at verse 18. He says, let your fountain be blessed. The word fountain here, once again, once again, we have the metaphor of water, a source of, of water in this passage. The first one was a cistern. The second was a well. Now, a cistern and a well were very pragmatic. They were, very, they were there. They were designed. They were built just for daily use, very pragmatic for the, to, to keep you alive, to capture water. But a fountain? Fountains are not the least bit practical. 
Fountains are festive. They are celebrative. They are a source of beauty. That's why fountains are created, for a source of beauty, to get your attention, to enjoy. I mean, we like to play in fountains, don't we? Whether we're supposed to or not. Right? Right. Yeah, yeah, we love to play in fountains. And um, he's saying here, the father is saying here to his son that God created sex and gave it to husbands and wives in marriage for, among other reasons, to be a great source of joy and beauty and fun and celebration and fireworks. Let your fountain be blessed. Blessed is the word graced. It's the, it's the Old Testament Hebrew word for uh, the pouring out of God's favor, God's grace. He said, let your sexual fulfillment is an activity as husband and wife be blessed by God. And so God the Father, who is more holy than we will ever comprehend, stands and raises His hands in holy blessing over the marriage bed of husbands and wives. Now, many of you were raised in, in backgrounds that at best told you that sex was a necessary evil that God tolerates it between husbands and wives. It's really dirty. It's really not pure, but it's necessary for the procreation of the race. Some of you were raised in that background. That's not what the Bible says. He says God, God says the marriage bed between husband and wife is holy. It is pure. It is wonderful. God stands and claps His hands and says, Woohoo! I bless you. He pours out His favor there. In, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, God says that the marriage bed is holy. He uses the same word that He uses to describe His own character. Holy. Celebration. So husbands and wives, God designed sex to be a part, a part of the thrill of marriage. And when sex is reserved for marriage of husbands and wives, guys, it is guilt-free and joy-filled, it is happy, it is holy, it is great, and it is graced by God. Now, son, he's saying here, son, grab him by the shoulders, he's saying, you don't want to settle for anything less than that. And you don't either. You don't want to settle for anything less than that. So wait until you're married and keep this exclusively within your marriage to your wife. This is the sexual expression that God blesses, actually pours out His grace upon. Now some of you are single and you're saying, oh, this is great. This is great. So here's the message. Sex designed by God is wonderful and I can't experience it. Well, that's true right now. now I'm not going to flip it about that. There's a whole other message in the Scriptures about God's call to be single. And I take that very seriously, but I, it, it's like another two or three weeks teaching, so we can't get there now. But remember, this is not all just about us, whether you're married or single. God gives us these teachings, and I teach you with the intent that you're going to take this and teach other people. Don't you have other people in your life that need to know this, whether you're married or single? You do. You do. And so learn what He's saying here so that you can be a source of His blessing to all the other people in your life. The thrill of married sex is there because it is exclusive, it is blessed by God, and also because God created it as a wonderful source, write down this word, of pleasure. 
of pleasure. It is one of the reasons God created sex. For pleasure. Uh, and I would use these two words, frequent and fun. And we're going to get there in a second. It's right there in the Scriptures. So read this. He says, in continuing in verse 18, "...and take pleasure in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful fawn. Let her breast always satisfy you. Be lost in her love forever." Now, let, let us remember that these words that I just read to you did not come from Playboy chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. They came from Proverbs chapter 5. Verses 18 and 19, God's holy word. I listened to how other English translations translate this passage. Take pleasure in the wife of your youth. The English Standard Version says rejoice in the wife of your youth. The message translation says enjoy the wife you married as a young man. The Good News Bible says it this way, find joy with the woman you married. Now, ladies, this applies to men and women. This is in the context, remember, this is just a, a father speaking to his son, but it could just as well be a father speaking to his daughter. I didn't have sons, but I talked to my daughters about these things. And it would be a mom talking to her daughters. And so it, it, this applies to all. He would be saying, uh, take pleasure in the husband of your youth. Rejoice in the husband of your youth. Enjoy the husband you married as a young woman. Find your joy with the husband, the man you married. You see, the wise father tells his son that one day, most likely, when he's a young man, that God will provide a young lady to become his wife. Most likely, most people on the planet get married. Not everybody. And so he said, most likely this is what's going to happen, and you are to take great pleasure in her. And in this context, he means sexual pleasure. Take pleasure in her beauty. Now listen to what he calls her. A loving doe, a graceful fawn. Uh, he uses the metaphor of a beautiful deer here. And the principle being this, one of the most beautiful animals on earth. And what he means is this, enjoy her beauty. Enjoy looking upon her. Enjoy looking at her. That's what he says. That's what he's saying. Now, men, this, Im this implies that we give our eyes to our wives and no, no other woman. We give our, no matter whether she's on a piece of paper or on the screen of a computer or walking down the street or in the office, we give our eyes to our wives. Now, I'm going to give you a lot more help on this next week when we get to the how, how to win over sexual temptation. That's next week. But let me give you a little help now. Many men say to me from time to time, well, pastor, I can't help what I see. Well, let's qualify that a minute. You can't help whom you notice, but you have absolute control over who you gaze upon. God made you that way. God gave human beings the ability to choose what they gaze upon. Dr. Billy Graham famously once said, you can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep it from building a nest in your hair. And so give your eyes to your wife. Start practicing today. 
when you notice a beautiful woman, men, you'll notice her. Look away. Just look away. So that's hard to do. Well, it is to begin with. Again, more help next week, but look away. This implies we look at our we look upon our the beauty of our wives and enjoy her beauty. Now, ladies, this wives, this implies that you take care of yourself. I mean, give him something to look at. Now, as we get older, we tend not to be prettier. Have y'all noticed that? Yeah. But God speaks of the inner beauty that develops uh, in, in, a man, in a man and a woman, a woman in particular, as she walks with Christ over life. And I'm here to tell you, I've been walking with a woman who's been walking with Jesus. for 40, I've been with her 42 years, and she is more beautiful to me today than she has ever been. You give your eyes to your wife. And wife, uh, you may have never thought about this, but this is the truth. I believe your husband will back me up on this. Your husband married you, and when he married you, he really liked the way you look. Ask him. And if it's not true, he better lie. <laughs> he better lie. He, he thought you were beautiful. That's not the only reason he married you, but it's one of the reasons he married you. He thought you were beautiful. Now, let me take it another step. And guys, I'm not exaggerating. You back me up on this with your wife. And he married you because you were his sexual fantasy. Now, that's not the only reason he married you. But when it came to who in the world is his sexual fantasy, you, you were it. You were it. So keep it up. Keep it up. I mean, guys, ladies, even croaky old Joe Cocker even gave him a song that he sings in his heart about you. What is it? Huh? We have no old 60s people in the room. They started singing it like crazy early. What is it? You are so beautiful. I bet Jimmy could do it like Joe Cocker. Come on, Jimmy. No, I'm kidding. No, no, no. You are so beautiful to me. I mean, it, it, he's got great theology there. Can't you see? You're everything I hoped for. You're everything I need. You are so beautiful to me. So look your best and let him know that you're doing it for him. So this wise father told his son, here's what he said to him. Son, I want you, when you get a wife, I want you to look at her and look upon her like you see me looking at your mama. She is so beautiful to me. So men, enjoy looking at your wife. Give your eyes to her, he says in this passage. Take great sexual pleasure in looking at, at her. And also, verse 19, right up front, here's what he says. Let her breasts always satisfy you. Now, this refers to her, her body. Listen to the different translations here. English Standard Version says, Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. The message translation says, Don't ever quit taking delight in her body. Now, the key word in that little phrase is the little pronoun, her. Circle it. Her breasts. The implication is, nobody else's. No other woman's breasts. Hers 
Here, once again, we are seeing the wise father saying to his son, God's plan for sex is that it is to be expressed and enjoyed only in the exclusive relationship of husband and wife. Now, ladies, I've just got to say it. Old and young, married and single here. Why would you show any part of your breasts to men who are not your husband? Why would you do that? Any part. Young ladies, the fashion industry is not your friend here. This is an exp- one of the expressions. Say, when you talk about the world thought and value system, Pastor, what are you talking about? This is one of the expressions, the fashion industry for women. The world thought and value system has captured it. Prom dresses, evening gowns, wedding dresses, all the rage now is to reveal as much of a woman's breasts as possible without showing all of them. Don't do it. Don't do it. There are parts of our bodies that God intended to be private and for the exclusive use and enjoyment of our spouses. And breasts are included in this category. Let me be as clear as I can be here. The the Bible is basically saying here, let your husband enjoy your breasts and no other man. And young ladies, I got. let me just tell you, and I think every fa- fathers and, and wives, don't buck your husbands on this when they're trying to help their daughters do the right thing. You wouldn't believe the number of Christian mamas who don't have a lick of sense and let their girls go out with their lungs hanging out. And when their fathers try to help with this, you shut them up. You need to repent. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? Young ladies, when it comes to attracting the right kind of young man, the Bible indicates that you draw your attention to your countenance, not your cleavage. Husbands and wives, God says in the Bible that we are to reserve our bodies for our spouses or our future spouses and that we are to give them as gifts to our spouses so that they have authority over our body and we have authority over theirs. We are not our own. We not only belong to Jesus, we belong to our spouses. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4. 1 Corinthians 7, 4. This is the New Testament passage that deals with the same issue. A wife does not have right over her own body, but her husband does. In the same way, a husband does not have the right over his body, but his wife does. And so he says, goes on to say, let her breast always satisfy you, be lost in her love forever. God is saying, circle the word always there. God is saying that's always, that sounds like it happens often. It sounds frequent. He's saying, enjoy this frequently. Okay, now guys, that would have been a great place right there, you know, amen. (laughs) Come on. So, He's, what he's saying to you and me here is don't neglect the, your marriage bed. Uh, the whole passage, 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5, expresses it. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority 
over his body to his wife. Verse 5, do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourself more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, verse 5, look at it. Verse 5 makes it very clear that the deprival of sex from a spouse can lead to a lack of self-control on the part of the deprived spouse, which makes them easy prey to temptation. Easy prey. Now, this certainly doesn't excuse marital unfaithfulness, betrayal, but it does describe what can happen. Remember in the book of Proverbs, God is saying, I'm teaching you how life really works. And what He's saying to, to spouses is this. Now, if you withhold sexual relations from your spouse, does that give them in it? Should they be allowed to express their sexuality with another person? No, of course not. No, they shouldn't. But God is saying, but why would you create that scenario? Here's what you're doing. And whatever you do, don't use sex as a weapon. The only result is bitterness on the deprived spouse. If your husband is a God-honoring man, a follower of Jesus who's committed to follow God's plan for good sex, then they, wives, they are completely dependent on you to meet their sexual needs, and that puts you in an incredibly powerful position. Be careful. But husbands do the same thing. You, wives, you are your husband's one and only one and only morally and spiritually um, legitimate source of sexual fulfillment. And husbands, you are your wife's one and only morally and spiritually legitimate source of sexual fulfillment. So whatever you do, don't deprive each other. He's saying make your marriage bed a priority. Make it frequent and, here's the good word, fun. Make it fun. Look at, look at this passage. He says, be lost in her love Forever. Now listen to these other English translations. One says, be intoxicated always in her love. One says, be exhilarated always with her love. One says, be captivated by her love. Be lost, be intoxicated, be exhilarated, be captivated in her love. That sounds pretty fun. Right there would have been another good... Doesn't that sound... I mean, that sounds pretty fun. Amen. Yeah, it is. It is. God says, just, you know, lose yourself in the enjoyment with your spouse. Husbands, God gave you your wives to be the greatest source of physical pleasure you have on this planet. Now, He gave her to you to be much more than that, but He did give her to you for that. Wives, God gave you your husbands to be the greatest source of physical pleasure you have on this planet. Now, He gave Him to you to be much more than that, but He did give Him to you as that. So the thrill of married sex is there because it is exclusive, blessed by God to be a frequent and fun source of pleasure. And so after explaining all of this, after explaining all of this, the father grabs his young son once again by the shoulders in verse 20, and he, he says, So why, my son, would you be infatuated with a foreign woman or embrace the breast of a stranger? 
Since you know all the terrible consequences of foolish sex, and you know the glorious blessing of God's plan for sexual ethics, why in the world would you choose a bad, self-destructive way? Now, this is a rhetorical question, uh, another one, and the answer is, well, there's no good reason to, except there's something wrong with us. There's something wrong with us human beings. We have a heart problem. You see, apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, apart from being saved and given a new heart, apart from having the presence and power of God the Holy Spirit indwelling us, we, even though we know what is good and best, we are powerless to choose it when temptation comes. Again, we're like my old buddy I've quoted for years and years who said to me one time when I was talking to him about Jesus, he said, Ah, oh, Keith, I'm okay. I can resist anything but temptation. We're, we're, we are powerless without Christ. We need Jesus if you don't have Him. And if you are a Christian and you are disobeying God in this area of sexuality, if you're sleeping with people you shouldn't be sleeping with, if you're expressing, if you're looking at stuff you shouldn't be looking at, if you're expressing any form of sexual activity outside of that of a husband and wife, you, you, what you're saying is, I need Jesus, but I need more than Jesus. I need this person or I need this experience. You have made sex, for all practical purposes, your God to cleanse and beautify your life. So, wait a minute, I don't, no, no, I know there's a God. I know there's God, but I just, you know, I just need, no, you made that an idol because your sexual expression is guiding your life, not God. Remember the definition of an idol? It's anything that we are willing to disobey God in order to be or do or have. Many of us Christians are willing to disobey God in the area of sexual ethics in order to have this experience or this person. And it breaks fellowship with God. You see, your, our problem... Our biggest problem is not that we are not experiencing God's best when it comes to sexuality. Our biggest problem is that we are in open rebellion and revolt against a holy God's rule over our lives. We are shaking our fist in the face of God. Verse 21 says, God is watching us and He is offended when we sin. For a man's ways are before the Lord's eyes, and he considers all his paths. Oh, yes, it's tragic when we don't have God's best in the area of sexuality. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But it's a bigger tragedy that we are willing to revolt against a holy God, and it's not okay with Him. Our sin offends Him, and it breaks fellowship with Him, and it breaks our own lives. And if we don't do something about it, it will separate us from Him forever in hell when we die. So what do we do? Well, if you're not a Christian, you repent and place your faith in Jesus who died on the cross in your place for your sins and rose from the dead showing that He had the power to forgive sin and redeem you and adopt you as His child and give you a new heart and take up residence in your life by His Spirit to motivate and enable you to be and do what God wants you to be and do in all realms of your life. If you are a Christian and you're in disobedience to God, then what you do is you repent, you confess it. 
1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess means to feel about it the way God feels about it. See it like God sees it. That we, we turn from our idol worship of our sexuality and we replace Jesus on the throne of our life, in the, in the driver's seat of our life. Uh, we give ourselves back to Him, and He forgives us, and He cleanses us, and He takes us back. And then we yield daily, moment by moment, to the control of the Holy Spirit of Jesus, and He will, yes, once again, motivate and enable us to be and do what He wants us to be and do. I want to give you the opportunity to do that now. Pray with me. Pray with me. If you are uh, not yet a Christian, then I beg you, Turn from your sin, place your trust in Jesus alone to be your Lord, your God, your Savior, your forgiver, your leader. Ask Him to forgive your sin, to come into your life and your heart, to give you His gift of eternal life. To the best of your understanding, yield control of your life in eternity to Him and thank Him. If you're a believer and you're disobedient to God, repent, confess it, admit it, feel about it the way God feels about it, mourn it, grieve it, and He will thank Him then for His forgiveness and His cleansing. And now resubmit yourself unto Him in this moment to the control of His Holy Spirit, asking Him to empower you and guide you So, Lord, we thank you for hearing these prayers. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.